on the show today is Sam Prim. Sam is a real estate entrepreneur and a content creator. His content features millions of views and is all about investing and real estate. In this conversation, Rob and Sam have a deep dive conversation about all things property and real estate, entrepreneurship, and they share real insights into how to build a successful empire. Let's just get straight into this. But remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So yeah, I'm excited to, to dig into all this. I, I, love, I like, uh, feel like I have a Southern accent when I'm with somebody with, a, with an accent from across the pond, so. <laughs> and you're in real estate too, are you? Yeah, mm-hmm. So I have a house buying company uh, that we buy about 300 houses a year. Uh, we wholesale most of them and we um, flip probably 50 of them, fix and flip. Uh, then I have uh, 45 million in rentals, uh, single families, apartments, self-storage, and some short-term rentals. Um, and then I do the social media stuff. So those are my three things is flipping company, um, rental portfolio, and then, you know, social media education. So those are kind of my three uh, main focuses right now. And how long have you been doing it? So I've been doing real estate since 2015 um, and then been doing um, social media and education since 2020. So a little, little more recent for sure. What, what about you? What, uh, what, uh, what is your experience outside of the outside of growing all this uh, brand? Um, so I started in property 17 years ago. Um, we have 1,350 tenants in our management company and about 350 units um, that we okay. own. Uh, and then uh, we run the UK's largest property training company called Progressive Property. And okay. I've written 18 books in total, I think, but the first six or so were in real estate before I kind of moved out of just real estate. I find real estate quite boring. Um, and you know, we, my business partner's more day-to-day. -day. We just did a 99 apartment, 130,000 square foot development, five years it took. But we hold them all. We don't flip any. Um, I just think with flipping, you know, you make a bit of short-term money, you pay all the taxes. And then in 10 years, you look back and you go, oh, they doubled. I'd like to still have them. Um, oh, yeah. Like, we've got stuff now that's worth, say, a quarter of a million that we paid 60, 70 grand for in 2005. Sorry, um, nine. Mm -hmm. So back then, if we were paying 70 for it, we might have flipped it for 85. We'd make 15 grand. We'd pay, you know capital gains tax, we'd net 10, we'd split it between two of us, that'd be five each. But now, you know, they've tripled in value really. So yeah, so I mostly hold everything. Yeah, so you're sounds like you're a crazy person. I like it, you're a crazy man. Um, yeah, no, we, uh, similar here. So we, we pretty much hold everything we can. So we're, I don't know how many, we're like 290-ish units between all that, not including the self-storage. And, um, and we, uh, we pretty much hold everything we can, but there's just certain properties that we come across that I don't want to own because it's not in a good area or it just won't make sense. It's a, you know, a $600,000 house that just won't cash flow. So no, I 100% I agree. I love holding. I want to hold and own um, as much as I can for the rest of my life. Um, Jeff, that's where the wealth is created and, and, and you know, obviously in equity. So um, yeah, no, I'm with you, my man. So um, the holding is the game name. I do all this just to hold real estate, but it just... Uh, monetize in other ways as well. Yeah, well, I, what I found is 
When the prices are strong, the rentals can be low. And then when the prices are weak, the rentals can be high. And through that entire cycle of those being counter-cyclical, you've got the training business, which has relatively, or it can have relatively low overhead and high cash flow. So essentially three different elements of the same business. I think that the, um, the content side is great because for example, we've got one property with a, um, in dollars, it would be a $15 million loan and they hold all the cash for three months before they pay us out our net revenue. And they have us on a strict covenant on the loan to value. And if it goes below that, if the market drops, we have to fund the difference back. So even though that deal makes us about £120,000, £150,000 a month gross rent and about $100,000 net rent, we only need a 15% swing in the market and all of a sudden, you know, there's a bit of danger. And of course, in the UK, the rates have gone up a lot. We're a bit behind the States. So a lot of people on variable rate mortgages, their properties have gone from, we've got one property that was cash flowing, what, 20,000 a year. Now it's making nothing, even though we put the rents up about 25% because it's gone from two and a bit percent to 6% on the lending. So you do have yeah, these cycles in property where you can get caught with your trousers down. But when you've got the training business, because our training business is, we should do 23 to 25 million in sales this year. And oh, okay. it's not the same risk in terms of lending banks. My friend Nigel Farage in the UK, all the banks just kicked him out because he's a politically exposed person. And all this shit's going on. Um, but the training information is great. I mean, I have 150 staff here, but you could have your one video guy. <laughs> and do you make all right money out of YouTube? Um, YouTube, okay. So my, my biggest, the, the biggest revenue and profit for us is our education business, same as you. Um, I mean, the margins are, are, um, are really good. You know, we have, uh, you know, uh, 1,300 students um, that, you know, pay 10 grand to be in the mentorship. Um, so that, and you know, the overheads are relatively low. I got a, we got, I got 46 employees. So not like 150 like you, but I got 46 employees and six of them are with this one company. That's our most profitable company. So similar, um, not, not quite the numbers that, that you're at, but you know, um, been doing it three years. So we're, we're, we're making pretty good headway, but it's, I love the, the education, the brand building, everything you can do with that is that's been my focus for the past couple of years is hundred percent on branding and education, just for exactly what you're saying. Real estate's so cyclical. Um, and out of your control. But I feel like education, you build a brand, then you can sell them this. Oh, wait, this isn't working. So I'll sell them this. Now you can pivot a lot easier uh, in the education space, especially if you have eyeballs that trust you, which obviously, you know, but that that's been my focus. I think that's the long term game is building a brand that people trust that you can help them, but then point them in a direction to monetize as, as need be. Yeah. Were you um, were you active in the last recession or a bit young for that? Um, uh, yeah, 35. So I was, I was in college during the last recession. Yeah. So I missed it. So I understand everything's been rosy for me. So I understand that I don't have that perspective. But uh, that's why I'm trying to diversify into several different things in, in case we do see a dip. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a case of in case. I think it's coming. I think it's coming big. 
Um, mm -hmm. I, I was talking to an estate agent, realtor here in the UK. He'd normally have 450 listings. He's currently got 15. So yeah. more than 95% of his normal stock he doesn't have. And he says he thinks the yeah he thinks it's already started. I mean, it's area dependent, isn't it? Um, but you know, in the last recession in where I am, prices went down from one twenty to seventy five in six months. Just went off a literally like a black ski slope. Wow. And um, honestly, if I could have a time machine, I'd go back to two thousand and. Nine, I'd take your money, Warren Buffett's money, Steve Jobs' bye, inheritance, bye, bye. yeah, and I'd just spunk it all on, on property. But, uh, like, it's been... How long ago was that? I mean, that was... That was 15 years almost. Yeah, I mean, that cycles are about 15 years. Because mm -hmm. I'm 44, so I'm just a little bit older. So a little bit. Nine years is... Quite a lot. <laughs> um, no, it's not. In the grand scheme of thing, nine years is nothing. Yeah, I'll take that. Thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, so, because what I found in the recession, we were quite small when the first recession started, and so it was a bit scary, but we had no exposure. Mm -hmm. We've obviously got nearly £50 million worth of exposure now in properties, although, you know, a decent amount of that is mortgages. Um, but I just think... It's buying time. It is big buying time. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think um, so. I, from what I can tell, looking at the data and trying to be unbiased, yeah, I definitely think we're in for a little bit of shift. We've seen one here here in the states. The average, um, the average house in the United States, median across the whole United States, hit a peak about six months ago of like four hundred eighty six thousand, I think. And then over the past two quarters, we haven't seen quarter, uh, we haven't seen quarter, I don't think we've seen quarter two data yet, but um, it's from quarter four and quarter one, it went down to like 435,000. So that's a 10% that dip. But majority of that, I think, was weighted at higher price point houses. Again, this is just that average. The lower price point stuff and the medium price point stuff held pretty strong. But those crazy high price stuff kind of dipped. So that's a huge dip. I mean, looking back at the historical charts, that's like a percentage. It's not the most. But as far as a dollar amount, it, it's some of the biggest dips we've seen in a long time. And it's already started to flatline. So my positive poly, you know, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a guy that wasn't around for the last one, so I, everything's rosy still is. We're definitely going to see it. I'm not blind, but my opinion is the, the floor is much lower or the floor is much higher. It's not going to go as low just simply because inventory is so low here. I'm sure it's similar there. We are still selling everything that we put on the market. Three days on market is our average. And then renters are renting like crazy. There's just not enough houses and, and residents for people to live or rent here right now. And some reports I've seen says we're not going to get caught up till 2027 because in the U.S. We, we didn't build from 2010 to 2018. We just didn't build. I mean, we did. But in aggregate, we did not. So we're still catching up. So I think that's different from 08. But I know there are obviously a ton of other things that, that add into it. So that's my positive side to it. And I'm going to get smacked in the face with uh, with maybe reality. understanding that but some of the data that i see um shows a dip but nothing catastrophic i don't know what your opinion on that is um because you lived through it so smack me with some reality do it <laughs> yeah well the one thing i've learned is you can predict what but you can't predict when 
um, and it, things usually take a lot longer than you think. So um, what are rates in the US at the moment? They're like uh, about seven for like uh, somebody that's buying a house and they're about eight and a half to nine for like if I want to do a loan on a, a rental property. Right. So, you know, the Bank of England rates here have just gone over five and they've gone up from 0.5 to five. So you add your bank margin on top. Yeah, we're in the sevens and eights for a car loan. You're in the nines, tens. So um, people like you said, you know, you you have been raised on the sweetest of milk of 0.25 percent interest. That shit is not normal. My dad goes on about how rates were 15%. Rates were always five mm -hmm. to six, and that's the kind of average. So actually, we're back to average now, but everyone's got so used to for 12 years of being so artificially low. So now people who are on variable rate mortgages of not much, you know, their living costs have gone through the roof. And um, we still haven't really got control of inflation. I think they raised the rates way too late in England. I know they did them earlier in America. Still um, too late, I agree, though. Yeah, way, too late like, they could have seen this coming years ago and just controlled it bit by bit. But obviously, it's, politics is a, a whole new thing. Um, so to me, it's the affordability that's going to create the repos that's going to create the drop in prices. Um, and I just, I think even with limited supply, I think that's on the cards because people are just can't afford to live at the moment. And rents are really high now as well. They're like mm -hmm. almost the same as mortgages. One thing I found out recently, I've been doing this 17 years, Sam, and I never knew this until about three months ago. And I think this is really fucking interesting. Um, okay. But for 15 years, I've been telling people, real estate in the UK has the supply demand on your side whereby we have a small amount of land we don't that the planning is tight here they won't let you build anything they're not they're they're behind 80,000 houses a year yada 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 and i thought well you know surely they've got to fix that but i spoke to an economist who's really he writes for the telegraph he's really knowledgeable and he said They've had 15 housing ministers in the last 12 years who come in and go, oh, we need to build more houses. We need to sort this problem out. And the banks stop them because the banks don't want more supply because if they have more supply, the value of their loans relatively could go down. Like how central banks control inflation to erode their debt. Mm -hmm. And even though I've been doing this a long time, that was like such a eureka moment because the banks control it all. They own a load Everything. of the property. So, so the, mm -hmm. the banks do not want us to build and, and create, you know, catch up with this deficit, which for me, again, is really good news for property prices continuing to rise because people always say to me, well, I can't go up forever. How can they go up forever? They always have, right? Yeah. I mean, in theory, you, you take, uh, you just go to the, the chart of houses and you just put a dot every five years, it goes up. That, I mean, there's dips in between there, but in general, the trend line is up because of inflation and costs of replacement, uh, you know, to build. Uh, it, it just costs go up. That's that's why inflation is there. So no, I, I tend to agree with that. And um, something that we got, I think, lucky, but maybe a little bit of, a little bit smart as well. In 2020 and 2021, we did portfolio refinances. We refinanced our entire portfolio. Um, with, with uh, you know, 2021 and the other half of 2020, uh, 2020, and we got locked in at like 375 for 10 years. So we're 
95% of my mortgages and my loans on the mortgages are locked in for another five to six years. So all of this, you know, my, I don't have any any notes due um, over the next few years while this is sorting itself out. So that's that's been huge for us as far as me sleeping better at night, knowing that I don't have a renewal at 8% when my original loan was 4% and now I'm not going to cash flow. So that was some stroke of luck there, um, but it, it's worked out really well for us. Yeah, I don't think that's a stroke of luck. Um, we, we fixed our big building, which is worth 22 million at 2.7. And if that for 12 years, and had wow. that been on a variable now going, it had gone from making 120 to probably making 20. So I think and the value would have plummeted, right? Exactly. Because, the, because the, income, in a commercial, yeah, in a commercial property, the values are linked to the income. So for example, um, we put the rents up. At 15% and it increased the value by two and a half million in the because we have to get it revalued every year for the bank. We have to honestly, the shit we have to do for them. <laughs> but yeah, it went up two and a half million because we nudged all the rents up 15%. But if they all the rents came down 15%, of course the value is going to drop. Um, but yeah, so like that's not luck. Anytime you can fix in a low rate for a long time, I would just say to anyone, you just, you know, there's a saying in England, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Um, yep. You know, if you can take a win now, because money is always worth more today than it is tomorrow. Yep, I agree. There's a saying here, uh, um, you, shit in one hand, wish in the other, see which one fills up faster. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's, that sums up the difference between Americans and British, I think, <laughs> what you just said there. Well, but yeah, I, you just have me thinking that. Like they, they mean different things. We, we say that one too, uh, bird in the hand's worth uh, more than two in the bush. We, we say that one as well. It sounds like it probably originated over there, but mine was just being a smart ass, uh, wanting to get a, 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 you know, another saying out there. But yeah, um, no, I, I agree. Take what you can now because you don't know in the future for sure. So we're, we're, we're on the same page with all of that, and I love the um, – the commercial bigger property side that, as you mentioned, you control the value of it. Um, you can increase rents, you can decrease expenses and, and do everything, get efficient with collecting rent and approving the good tenants that stay and all those things. And you literally force millions of dollars in value when the houses are tied to, you know, whatever the market's doing. So we like to have both for sure. So we're, we're been doing some fun things and we've been shifting recently to more of a midterm rental, short-term rental mod model to try and, you know, combat some of this higher interest rate. So we're trying to shift with the market as quick as we can, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and challenging. But uh, again, I haven't seen anything, you know, a huge cliff fall off, cliff fall off. So I, I'm a little naive still. I get that. When you say mid and short term, so do you mean like Airbnb type stuff? Because we do a lot of that. Yeah, so that's the short term. So yeah, so we we have a few short terms. So we've turned a couple of our apartment complexes. We have a, a 32 unit, a 29 unit. Um, 27 unit. We have some other smaller ones, but those are our bigger ones. You know, they're still smaller, but they're kind of that mid-level. And we've taken some of those apartments that are like, they're kind of unique buildings, a couple of them. And we've taken a couple of the units and turned them into short-term rentals where we're renting them out, you know, nightly or weekly and furnish them and all the stuff. And it, they're not affecting the other tenants. We're not like having parties there or anything like that. And that has increased. That's um, 10 times the net cash flow just for that one unit though. Um, so that's allowed to increase some of the value of the building. But um, so that's kind of the short term game. And we bought a, a hotel in like a little tourist area in southern Missouri here that we're turning all into short term rentals um, to kind of help with cash flow. But what a lot of people are doing here is they're doing that midterm rental. 
which is completely different. That short-term rental Airbnb, you guys know that game. You're running over the weekend or for a week to a family and all that stuff, and it, it's a lot of churn. But that midterm rental is like a three to six month lease that you rent it out to like traveling nurse or like somebody that's relocating their job and they need a shorter term rental, not a 12 month rental. You don't get as much as the short term rental, but if something rents for $2,000 a month on a long term basis, on a midterm basis, you can probably get it for $3,000. So you can get 50% more rent and they're three and six month leases. So you don't have to get a new person and a cleaning person every other night or once a week. So it's kind of that midterm and there's a huge market for it with, um, you know, people getting misplaced because of, you know, my in-laws actually, my brother-in-law, their house got hit by a tornado. So for 18 months, they had to figure out houses to rent, you know, on a short term, shorter term basis while their house was getting rebuilt. So anyways, um, that midterm and short term rental is uh, something that we've been digging into a little bit that we just hadn't had to because it was so easy. Like you say, you could fall into deals and cash flow over the past five years. And what are you um, what do you most enjoy the side of your business? Do you enjoy the property side or do you enjoy the training side the most? I think I enjoy the education side right now, um, the training side, the branding side, the the flipping and the, the rentals are fun. Those are kind of the long term stuff. I, I'm not very active in those. I think you kind of mentioned that earlier. I haven't even been to I, I, I kind of know how many rentals that, that we own. Um, I don't know the properties. I haven't been inside my past 50 houses that we own as rentals. Like I, I, I haven't been to a meeting in that in 18 months. I occasionally help out with the flipping company, uh, with branding and marketing, things like that. But. 90% of my time for the past two and a half years has been focused on this education, this training, this growing a brand um, so that we can get some you know, people to like, know and trust us and help them out for free. You help out enough people, there's a percentage that will want to uh, pay you to help them. And that, that's kind of been my model. And it's uh, it was a struggle at first, but it's been very, very uh, profitable over the past 12, 18 months. But the first 12, 18 months were, were not profitable. But uh, it's it's been that way recently because it kind of takes a while to figure things out. So it's been fun. But that's my favorite part. What about you? Um, yeah, the training, the content side. So I have a business partner and we've been doing it 17 years. And in the first year, we would, we, we, a great way, I think, to get into a business or real estate is go and work for an entrepreneur, go and work for an estate agent, go and work for a realtor, you know, one who's successful, maybe does 10 or 20 million. If they do 200 million, you're never going to get a coffee with the boss. You know, if they started last week, they're not good. But, you know, you find that person who's got a small enough business that you can knock on the door you know, and get a little bit, you earn and learn at the same time. So in 20, 2007, for a year, we worked for this property sourcing company. And this guy, it, it, we were sourcing properties all over the world and he didn't really know what he was doing. So he gave it all to us. So it was a really good baptism of fire. Um, and we spent the first year selling properties to clients and going on viewings evenings and weekends. And we maybe sold 40 to 50 deals to clients, but we bought 20 ourselves in that year. Um, and then we started on our own and bought another 30. And then the next year we bought another 50. And Mark was always working out at what stage of a property portfolio is it worth doing the management yourself and taking it off of um, our management company? And I think it got to 350 and then we, we pulled it all. And by that time, um, I dealt with enough tenants, enough builders, enough contractors. 
My business partner and I were duplicating, doing the same stuff. That I was kind of over it. But I, 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 was, I wasn't over property. I was just over the, the operational side. You, you know, like, I want to be respectful, but tenants can be a pain in the ass and builders are a nightmare. Um, and, and they just weren't, day to day, it wasn't really what I wanted to, to do. And then um, I, I learned a bit of, I did a public speaking course because I wasn't very confident speaking at first. And I thought, well, I better get confident if we want to do courses. And we did our first course and we had 24 people and they paid two grand and we made 50 grand. And I remember because it was a new company, we were able to basically get that without paying the tax. And we, we netted 47 out of 50 grand. It probably took us three years to net 47 grand in rental income and we did it in one weekend. You're nodding because you know this. And we were like, fucking hell. Um, and now this business does, what, 900 training days a year and it should do 25, 23 million this year. And, um, you know, helping people and let's just be straight up, Sam, and let's just be honest because a lot of people bullshit. Talking about yourself is quite a lot of fun. Most people enjoy that. So I love sharing what I've learned over the years. Um, and it's much better than dealing with tenants and boilers and insurance companies and floods and plan. Oh man, planning in the UK is so slow. It's like they don't want to get anything done. Um, yeah, so um, for me, I like the training a lot more. But you've, you have to walk the walk as well though. So you have to keep your hand in. Because mm -hmm. you, if you train too much, like you said, you can stop buying. And then is your knowledge up to speed? And oh, well, Rob was a bit of a has-been. So my, my, you know, we just bought a big Pizza Express building um, and we're buying a couple of properties in our pension. So Mark does that all day. And then, you know, I manage the trainers now. We, I don't actually do any of the training anymore. We have trainers that do it. So I, just, I write books and, and, and stuff like that. But um, the information, it end of, the, and it's also, you know, Facebook Lives, you know, like, fucking hell, I've got, I figured this out, I'm going viral every day, this is great. And then it's annoying because the algorithm changes and then you're on TikTok, you're like, yeah, I'm going viral on TikTok, look at me. And then you earn about 14 pence per trillion views. Uh, you know, and I actually like all that variety, I find it fun. Yeah, no, I agree. It's crazy. Couple things. Your story is um, very similar. Like we said, just a couple years uh, behind you. Uh, as far as I have a business partner, Lucas. So everything we do is 50 50. He runs kind of the operations and kind of keeps a, a little bit more of an eye on the flipping, the wholesaling, and, and you know, the rental company. And then I focus on this and kind of enjoy that competitiveness of, you know, grew up playing at playing sports. Like uh, I feel like a, a lot of people obviously have, but you have that competitiveness and keeping score and a scoreboard and you get that with social media, you get that with views and likes, and then you obviously can turn that into money, but it, it's very similar. It's a lot of fun to do the social media stuff. I don't know how the hell I have 2.4 million followers on social media. Um, I mumble a little bit. Um, I slur a little bit. The production quality is not quite as a, as a lot of people, but what I am is I'm real. I don't bullshit. Like you said, I'll tell you what sucks. I'll tell you what's good. Um, having some authenticity is, is uh, in short supply. You mentioned earlier, uh, so many people will get the following, get the space, and then they'll stop 
what they did to get the following, like the, you know, actually doing the purchasing and being involved. And they're kind of a has been, or they're like a lot of people, they just wrote a book and that's what they're living off of. So the, our secret sauce that sounds like yours is the same thing is being authentic, but being active. You know, I don't go to every single meeting, but I know what's going on. I help negotiate apartments. I help. We bought a 42 pack of houses in the same neighborhood last year. I negotiated that. So I'm involved enough and I have, um, people that, you know, are the coaches that are super involved. I don't do any coaching either, but I'm involved enough that I can keep up with trends and know what's going on. And I have connections around, you know, every state with people that I can kind of keep tabs on. So very, very similar. You're talking, I'm nodding my head in agreement, but also just, I feel like it's kind of a, a mirror. You got a, I got, you got a little more hair um, down low and I got a little more hair on <laughs> top. But other than that, we're very similar yeah. and uh, you have a cooler accent than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tell you something, right? I, I love discussing with my American friends this. We have to have this discussion. All right, Because it. it goes on the internet for like as long as time has begun. And that is, should you buy or rent your house? So okay. um, I want your view on this. Should, and actually, Harry, this might, Harry's my producer. This might surprise you. I might change my mind. I've been having a go at a few people for talking shit about this, but I might change my mind. So if, you know, your own home to live in, one, should you rent or buy it? And two, what do you do? Okay, so I think I, I've thought about this a little bit. So I'm glad you're, you're asking me. I haven't ran every little scenario. Um, I think you should, I personally think you should own it. And I do own my house now. I know some people will say, you know, if you pull up a, a T-chart or run the financials, you know, with what you get and what you're spending and the responsibility, it makes sense to lease it. But there's probably some vanity there or pride or I don't know what it is, but I like to own my house. And then there's also the side of it. You can pull a home equity line of credit and use that to invest and do things. Um, you get write-offs and things like that. So there are, you know, every state and probably, uh, you know, where you are, you can hear is a little bit different as far as the taxes and laws go. But I like to own it. I just feel better about owning it. I just like to own things. I own my vehicles. I could definitely lease some. I, I know a lot of people do that leasing, but as far as financially, maybe it doesn't make sense, but um, not everything has to be ran through a freaking financial filter, in my opinion. You know, sometimes you just do things because that's how you feel. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. The mindset of it's more important and the feeling you get when you walk in a house when you own it is, is more important to me um maybe that's vanity maybe that's american thing but that's my take what say you um for about 10 years i have always said you gotta own your house if you can uh-oh you're changing it uh, well I, well not maybe not quite but like 
I think we should thrash this out and get the details. So for someone like you or I, if we don't own our house, surely that's really bad for credibility. Oh, Sam reckons he's a big property guy. He's done a million deals. He doesn't even own his own house. I mean, like people in our position who've got some money, we've got the, the affordability to do it. All right, you know, you might be able to rent a 10,000 square foot or 20,000 square foot, but like, it's 101 credibility to own your own house if you run a property training business. So that's mm -hmm. rule number one. Uh, the the write-offs in the UK are good for ownership. So basically, anything you spend on the property, you can write off in the appreciation and you can sell a house and upgrade without paying any capital gains tax. So essentially, you can go two or three houses up the ladder and end up in a mansion having paid no tax, which I think is huge. Because if you rent, rent, rent and rent, all right, you're not paying tax. But here's the thing people don't get. Like, rent is twice as much as you think it is because tax is 50%. So if your rent is two, a thousand, you have to earn 2,000 to pay a thousand in rent. So if my mortgage is a thousand and my rent is a thousand, at least my thousand, 350 of that thousand is paying down the mortgage and my property is going up in value. So I've got, I've got inflation and repayment of mortgage on the way down and I've got appreciation going up. And you, if you move that over five or 10 years, that could be six figures, that could be a hundred grand. Whereas if you rent over six years, you could have spent a hundred grand and that money is dead money. People say to me, oh, it's not dead money because you need to live and having a mortgage is dead money. But no, only the interest element of the mortgage is dead money. The repayment element isn't. And also the property is going up in value and anything you spend, and you can buy something like run down and do it up and add value, can have a nice bit of equity in there. Of course, you can't do that in a rental. Like, I'm with you as well. I've got a fucking nice house. And it it's taken me seven years to make my house how I want. A man cave, you know, like a massive garage with a glass wall. It takes years to build your own castle. You can't do that in a rental. You don't even want to put a nail in the wall. You know, you, mm -hmm. and, all that. and the tenant can, the, the landlord can say, oh, we're kicking you out now. Cost you thousands to move. So, like, I don't get it, but... I'm, I'm with you. All right. Where's the butt? Where's the butt? I got I got some additions to that, but I'll let you do your butt first. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll do the butt and then we'll do your addition. But interest rates are going up and up and up. And now renting and mortgaging are similar. Whereas it's always been that your mortgage is 30% lower than a rental. You know, when you're looking in the market, you might get a house for 700 a month on a mortgage, but it'd be a thousand rent. But that's changing. And rents and mortgages, because interest rates going up so much. So if they're the same, why, I get that that's a factor. The next factor is the story of you owning your own home and it's an investment was made by the banks who lend you money, who want you in debt for the rest of your life. And so if someone is here watching and they're putting everything they've ever done into a crappy little house, because that's the story that their mummy and daddy told them or the banks told them. That's a fucking trap. That's a debt trap. And, you know, I'm in the fortunate position where I don't have to do that. So I understand that. And, you know, it's like, oh, save your money with us. 
no, that's bullshit. You want, you're a profit-making entity. And then, oh, own your own home, it's an asset. Technically, your house is a liability until such yep. time as you've sold it and you've paid yourself off all your losses over the years. So, so I get that. So if interest rates go up so much that you're more... Oh, one more thing. If you're 22 and you haven't seen the world and you're single, why don't you travel the world for a year and go and do some short-term rentals instead of having that thing to manage when you're at home? Because I'm 44 and I've got kids. I, you, know, mm -hmm. I, you know, we're not going anywhere. So I may be getting old and soft, but I'm still, I'm still, kind of I'm still with you, but I, I can, get that. I can tell you used to be a badass. Now you're getting soft in your old. I, I, yeah. I can tell, <laughs> I can see you softening in front of me. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said. A couple of points to just kind of piggyback off what you said is, but I think it can be a little bit dependent. The market is a little bit different. I think your end goal should be to own a house for everything we said. But right now, if you're young, or if you're just kind of unsure, maybe it's okay to rent for a little bit and that be your plan, in my opinion. But I think, you know, it as interest rates kind of start to breathe out and in and, and kind of contract a little bit in one year, two year, five years, who knows how long that'll be. I think at that point, you should probably try to own, but I don't think you have to own no matter what, no matter your age, no matter what your financial situation, no matter what the market's doing. So I think be able to pivot a little bit and call an audible if the market's changing. So I, I agree with everything you said there. Um, and then to piggyback off what you said a little bit earlier, so I built my I built the house in 2015. And uh, I was working a full-time job, still doing real estate on the side. Uh, we moved in at the end of 2015. It was, so it was a nice house for the area you were at, St. Louis, not a very high um, cost of living. Built it for like $400,000. So decent house, 3,200 square foot, nice house, added a pool in the back later. But, um, Sold it in 2016 for $700,000. So was able to make that much money in the difference and not have to pay any money in taxes because, you know, we can, if you're married, you can make 500 grand on your personal pro, personal house and pay zero in taxes. There's no, you don't have to repay it down the line, like, a, you know, carry back a depreciation or something. So was able to take that and then utilize some of that for my nice house that we just built, got some land, built a really freaking nice house, pool, back, uh, you know, all the things that come along with upgrading your lifestyle as you work hard and make more money. So able to kind of build my dream house and do some things on some land, you know, have some horses and a bar and all those things. But a big part of that was that money that I'd made from that original, you know, from the property going up in value so much. So it's, I caught a hot market, timing was good, all those things, but um, it, you know, there's those things you can't do if you're renting. And you know, that was a fortunate situation, but you can't always do that that when you're renting and your house is definitely not not, not an asset. You know, the, something we can get into is, is debt. That's a huge thing that I talk about all the time. I have, I think 40 videos on TikTok with over a million views. I have like a little folder and almost all of them are about debt and how if you properly leverage debt, that's the only way to get ahead. So um, debt on your house, I don't know, is great, but debt on your business or your um, assets is is great, in my opinion. So we can maybe go down that path if you, you want to talk about debt a little bit. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm just I'm a week away from finishing my next book. It's called Money Matrix. And okay. um, the goal of the book is to reveal how the system works around money and debt. And then you playing the system at its own game in your independent entrepreneurial way. So um, in the UK after lockdown, the quoted figures for inflation were about 10%. And um, I just have this rule. What they tell you inflation is, um, add half again. 
That's what it really okay. is. Because they don't put everything in the basket of goods. There's political agendas, you know. So if inflation is, like, when inflation was 10, had my milk gone up 10%? No. Had everything gone up 20 or 30%, it was crazy. So in my mind, inflation is 15%, not 10. I had, at the time, £36 million worth of mortgages. So 15% a year write-off on £36 million worth of mortgages because inflation erodes the value of money, but it also erodes the value of debt. And when the government print these trillions, it's really bad if you hold cash. It's really fucking good if you hold debt because they're paying their own debt off, but vicariously they're paying off all of your debt as well. So we worked out in the two years of inflation over 10%, we had three and a bit million pounds worth of the relative value of our mortgages. No, no, 35 times 20%, seven million pounds worth of our debt. 20% of our total debt was written off by the government in, in two years. I mean, I said this and people were like, what, did the government send you seven million pounds? I'm like, no, people don't understand this. And then people say to me, Rob, why don't they teach this shit in school? Because the fucking banks don't want you to know it. They don't want you to know. Hell no, they don't want you to know. How, why do you think people listen to us? You know, we're, we're, we're crazy and we're probably even not that smart. It's because we teach stuff that they don't want you to know. So do, do you have the same view of debt then? Oh, yeah. I mean, so so we talked about a little bit earlier, but I own 290 units. I own $48 million worth of real estate. I have $25 million worth of debt on that real estate. So I have bought $48 million worth of real estate in the past eight years without using a dime of my own money. I have not taken any money out of my personal checking account. You know, as the business grows, you kind of dip into it for here and there. But I've done all that with debt. So I am a huge proponent of properly leveraged debt. People don't think about it this way, or a lot of them don't. Like, I'm going to use American examples. So, so par pardon me for that. But like Facebook was started, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook by borrowing money from Peter Thiel. He started it and then needed money to grow. You know, uh, Musk bought Twitter. Elon Musk bought Twitter. He's a, one of the richest men in the world. He bought Twitter by borrowing money from investors and banks. Apple sits on $200 billion of cash, usually when the reports come out most of the time, and they still have $100 billion in debt. So they could pay off their debt twice, but they don't because businesses understand if you don't have cash or you want to grow, you need to borrow money. And as long as you're borrowing money to buy an asset that produces cash and grows in value, you are going to create wealth. Almost everybody listening to this probably does not have enough money to go buy five, $10 million or pounds worth of real estate, but you can get creative. You can borrow money. You can buy at discounts. You can add value and you can do what Zuck and Mucker, Zuck, Zuck or Zuckerberg and Musk do, but just at a smaller scale with real estate, because I'm not smart enough to start the next app or the next Tesla or the next SpaceX. But the wealthy borrow money. They don't use their own cash. So do what the wealthy do, but let's dumb it down to what we can understand and what everybody needs and real estate. So if you can't tell, I, I love debt. It's changed my life. It changed a lot of my students' lives. If you don't have the money, that's okay. Somebody else does and somebody else will see the value in real estate. So you can literally create your own wealth path by borrowing money. I have 
made more money. I make more money in a month than I thought I'd make in a year legitimately just because of the things that debt has allowed me to do. Now, you can't go buy a bunch of motorbikes and a bunch of you know boats and expect that to work for you. But as long as you're buying the asset, whether it be a business or a house that, that's going to go up in value and produce cash out the other end, you know, relative, you know, sometimes maybe cash will be down, sometimes the value will be flat. But in general, over the long period of time, if you do that, that's the secret to everything. You don't need your own money. Of course, it's good to have it, but most people don't have the luxury of having enough of their own money to substantially make a difference in their financial future. So just get creative, borrow it, find some assets, make it all work, and it can take time and energy, but it sure fucking beats working for somebody else until you're 70 years old when you're too old to enjoy it and you retire, but you're, you know, you fall asleep and have to take three naps a day. So get creative and do it now. Use debt the right way and you can literally change your life in five years. It's not going to happen in two months, but it can happen in five years. So um, so I like debt in case you're wondering. I think, yeah, I think, I think I got that message. Yeah. So um, similar story. I started with 50 grand's worth of debt. And, I, I, you know, even though I have bought properties for cash with my own profits, those profits came from property that I borrowed other people's monies for. But I have got something to ask you here because there's a very big influencer who's very well respected in America that very much disagrees with you. And his name is, name is Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey says, all debt is dumb. And I go on his page and I argue with him and all of his millions of fans come and hate on me. All debt is dumb. What do you think about that? Well, Dave just Dave is a huge brand, like you said. I'm, you know, I, I am like a grain of sand, and he is the whole beach. He is has a huge brand. He he called me out on his show, which was the best thing that could ever happen for my brand because a lot of my people went at him, and it was great exposure for me. So he called me a liar on his show. He didn't believe that I have twenty five million dollars in debt. He said no one would give that that guy twenty five million dollars worth of debt. He's he doesn't take a trained FBI detective to tell that that guy's lying with his baby on his hip in his video because that that video I think got seven or eight million views. Um, across just one platform. I think it got over 10 across a few. But anyways, the I'm in debt video. Um, so yes, yeah, so Dave does not like me. And I don't even dislike Dave. I just think he has gotten way too big of an ego in the head. And he's. I hate people that talk in absolutes. That drives me crazy more than anything. People that say this is the only way or this is the way. There's always nuances to everything. So I disagree with Dave very, very much. I always tell people, if you want to not be poor, if you're going at something, not wanting to do something with a negative mindset, then follow Dave. If your goal is to not be poor, go to Dave. But if your goal is to create freedom and wealth and passive income, you have to follow me or somebody like me. You're not going to get ahead by saving your money to pay off your car and your house. It's just going to be too late. People don't make enough money to do that and put enough money aside. So me and Dave are polar opposites and uh, he does not like me. I don't dislike him, but I, I dislike his teaching and his antics and his ego. Did you um, get a chance to defend yourself? Did you go on the show or reply to him and prove it? Oh, yes, I replied to him. I, I, I did a couple of different videos replying to him, telling him I would gladly go on his show. Um, I said, I will, if someone on your team contact me, I will send you my bank statements. I will send you my mortgage statements. I will send you everything you need to see. Um, I would gladly come down on your show and have a, um, a gentleman type um, discussion about it. And then I said, I'll even put the plane ticket on the credit card. So I had to be a little smart ass, but um, uh, no response crickets from his, cause he doesn't want that for his brand. He, 
people like me and you and I hurt his brand and he does not want anybody else in his space. I don't mind people having differing views on things. I don't mind people having different political views. I don't mind somebody having a different view on how to create wealth. But um, when you completely shut off other people's opinions, which is where he is right now, you create an echo chamber and echo chambers are very, very dangerous, um, uh, especially in, in today's world with social media. So I offered to go down on a show on my dime and I offered to show him and I literally heard crickets. So that's I'm not, not surprised, but I, I was kind of hoping I could at least have a conversation with him because he called me a liar. He didn't say I disagree with him. He called me a liar. So it's a little bit, a little bit over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, you, you know that that you can still make that good for your brand. It does seem a bit like I don't know. My dad, the older he got, the more obnoxious he got. Maybe he's just getting a bit old. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki, like he's obviously done masses for this industry and taught a lot of people about debt and leverage. But he is fucking grumpy nowadays. Maybe that's the same thing with Dave. I don't know. And he's like, he's kind of got a little cuckoo with his, you know, predictions and everything and his political affiliations. And I, I wonder if it's kind of human nature. Like, I, I'm going to do my best every single day to avoid that as my grand bros grows. But like just the ego, the vanity, the echo chamber, the, the your way works. You may become a multi, multi, multi-millionaire because of what you believe in and what you do. And everybody's, nobody disagrees with you. Everybody just kind of, you know, gives you a little sucky sucky every time you talk and everybody loves what you do. So like human nature, it's really hard to think that what you're doing is not the right way. So I'm trying to give them a little grace and I always try to th see things from different perspectives. But um, yeah, I hope to never be that way. But part of it, I don't know if it's inevitable or not, but um, I hope it's not inevitable. I'll do my best to not have it be that way. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're back to, to Dave Ramsey. Um, I think if you're someone who's terrible with money, you've got addictions and, you know, bad spending habits, paying off your credit cards, cutting them up, only buying a, a, a car when you can afford it, your first investment is your house, blah, blah. I think that's solid advice. But it's just really, you know, th there are six or seven steps to becoming wealthy. And he's talking about steps one and two. And he stops at step two. And then, he, like you said, all debt is dumb to me is a dumb statement. Because, like you said, nearly all the S&P 500 companies wouldn't exist without debt. How do they scale? So, you know, like for someone who's apparently pretty smart, that's pretty dumb. But I understand his, his niche. Also, something I, I called him out on. I mean, he doesn't reply on his social media, but thousands of his acolytes, you know, they do. And I love winding them up. They just go crazy. It's just so much fun. Yeah, it's just like a, putting a cat amongst the pigeons. I couldn't get my head around this, and I'd love your thoughts on this, because I wonder if, it, uh, am I wrong about this, or is he? So, I had a lot of debt, and I had loads of credit cards. And once I learned the law of compounding, I stopped paying £10 a month off five credit cards. And I paid £45 a month off my biggest credit card with the most amount of debt, and minimum payment on the rest. So, the goal was, whichever credit card debt has the highest interest and the highest amount, use 90% of my money to pay that off because that'll reduce the compounding. I'll pay less money and pay your debt down like that. And I worked out, uh, you know, once I learned about compounding, I worked out, it's quite a big cost saving. And he's like, no, no, you don't do that. That's wrong. You equally pay off all your debts because you feel like you're making progress. And then when you've got one credit card, you, so he would say you pick your smallest one first and pay off because you feel good 
about getting a credit card paid off. But this one might cost you five grand more in the term of the debt than this one. What are your thoughts? I know I, I agree with you on that. I think there's very few things I agree with Dave on. I think he kind of does it. He calls it the baby step. He's literally calling people babies. Um, that that is his. That's how he's. That's how he looks at his people and his followers. But I agree with you. I think he's more just talking of like the trying to get the, that snowball effect of little, little, get a little bigger as you go. But something like that, when you're in debt and you need to get out of it, you need to do what financially makes the most sense. And it financially makes more sense to pay off the bigger one first, the most amount, and just let those other ones kind of stack up. Obviously, the goal is to get out of debt as quickly as possible and get out of bad consumer debt. I'm not a guy that likes consumer debt. I, I you know, I spend, you know, $30,000, $40,000 a month on my credit card, but I pay it off at the end of every month and I make $1,000 on the point. So, you know, as long as you can afford it, consumer debt's okay. But as far as like the in debt and you can't get out of it every single month, yeah, I would say financially, just off the top of my head, I didn't run the numbers like you. It would make most sense to get the biggest chunk with the biggest interest rate out of the way first, even though you're not going to get paid off in two months or three months, like a smaller amount. So I agree with you on that, you know, just in general and principle, financially, it makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, back then I was getting credit cards at 35% a year interest and others might have a six-month, you know, balance transfer 0%. So you, you, you chop the biggest fucking tree down first. Uh, anyway, mm -hmm. it, look, this isn't the bitch about Dave Ramsey's show. He's, look, he's clearly nope. done a lot for a lot of people. It looks like he has helped a lot of ordinary people. Fair play to that. I want to talk about a friend of mine, and that's Grant Cardone. So Grant's okay. a friend of mine, obviously, you know, big, big in America, and his model is very different to ours. So um, I reckon I own as much real estate as him, maybe more. And that's quite a bold statement, so I'm happy to discuss that with anyone. And here's why. Because he earns 1%, I think, he told me, I was in a clubhouse room and he told me, he earns about 1% on the income of, let's say, $800 million of real estate. And what he's done is essentially he's a fund. And he brings everyone's money in and he can buy, you know, 100 apartments. But he doesn't really own it. He's sourced it and he's pulled the investment and then he'll make his, his fees or his take, take his bit off the top. So he's clearly leveraging debt. But I look at that model. I mean, I want him to succeed. I like Grant. I've got nothing but good things to say about Grant personally. But... You know, like you, you know, I want to have discussions and debates. It's nothing personal. But I look at that model and think, fuck me, that's risk. That's massive mm -hmm. leverage. You're earning a very low return. And all the, you can go around saying I'm a billionaire or people can call you a billionaire. But, you know, 1.2 billion of money borrowed does not make one a billionaire. So what do you think of his model? Because to me, he's a glorified fund. Yeah, I, I'm... I, I, we'll find something we disagree on eventually here, but I, I agree with you. I like to own, I like to own a hundred percent of what I have. Now I could create a fund or a syndication on social media pretty easily. I'm sure I have plenty of accredited uh, investors that follow me that I could raise 10 million to buy, uh, you know, a $50 million apartment complex or something like that and own a very small percentage of it. I'd rather own, you know, I'd rather own a hundred percent of 50 million, you know, than 10% of, you know, uh, 250 million or, or 500 million. So I like to own everything on um, that. That is my goal. The tax benefits, everything, less risk, more equity in there. So I like to own it. I, I know I could maybe own more dollars amounts or have more dollars under management or whatever. If, if I syndicated, um, you know, as, 
like the fund syndication, similar synonymous there. But yeah, I, I like to own, I'd rather own 100% of a, of, of a grape than, you know, part of a watermelon. So um, I, I like to I like to own everything and 100% and just have ownership and pride in it. And I'm, you know, going to manage it well. And then all the other benefits that go along with controlling an asset and being able to be agile. I can be a lot more agile with 50 million than he can with 1.2 billion, even though he owns, you know, only percentage of it. So I, I'm with you on that one. And do you buy all over the U.S. or do you just stick to your state and locally? Um, so everything we do is local here. That that apart that hotel that I talked about earlier that we bought is about five hours away in the southern part of the state. But I think eventually I'll expand into um, other markets maybe. But I, I just don't need to. People don't understand real estate is such a massive industry. You know, I own $50 million worth of real estate. Yay, look at me. I'm awesome. I was flying in a plane landing in St. Louis the other day with my business partner, Lucas. And we're like, our entire portfolio is like, worth the same as those three blocks and you can see you know ten thousand blocks so real estate is just such a huge industry that i can probably own as much as i want here in st louis and i want to make the city better i want to you know make it a more desirable place i want to take care of the tenants and, and I, I want to do it here locally here it's not the most exciting city but um kind of a homebody and gonna always be here so um I, I do it all locally i'm sure eventually maybe i will do kind of the grant cardone model maybe in the future and buy a big apartment complexes i'm not gonna buy in a different state, two houses, right? I would want to do a bigger asset, um, you know, like apartment complex. So maybe I will in the future, maybe not. But that's part of what we talked about earlier, growing that brand. I have the options to do that if I want. That's why I'm so focused on the brand is eventually I'll have that option if I want to. Yeah, I mean, for 17 years, we've only bought in about, so let's say, I don't know, we must have bought about 800 units, let's say, this fag packet in the last... Mm -hmm. 17 years and 650 of those are within an eight mile radius of where I'm sat and wow. 150 of them would be within a 25 mile radius of where I'm sat. The 150 that are a 25 mile radius take more management than the 650 that are in an eight mile radius. I've always told people to stay local because of the management, the travel, the expenses, the agents, the contact contractors, the refurb teams. If you got it local, you sew it all up. Also, there's three main real estate investor developers in the city of Peterborough, just outside London, that get all the best deals. And we're one of them because of how long we've been doing it. And if we've been buying everywhere, we'd never get a call for the best deals. We get off market deals, they, won't, they don't go to market. We just bought one, a small one for us, 750 grand, but with the moving the tenant out, we'll put that up to a million. You know, we've just been offered a bank for three million, which is a bit expensive, but we'll pay two and a half for it. These aren't on the market. No one knows they're for sale. You only build that up locally. I think it's lazy or um, overly aggressive. Um, just buying everywhere, that's my view. No, I agree. It's almost like I kind of say it's almost like insider trading. Like if you know that area, you grew up there, you live there, you know the trends better than some of these people buying with syndications or funds or Wall Street money. They're coming and they're just buying off of numbers. They're, the real estate market is too complex for them to have a formula to know exactly what the house is going to do. So the fact that you have the connections, know the areas, have the connections with the city because you're local, like that's insider trade. It's like having an insider trading advantage, even though it's not insider trading, it's legal. So I 100% agree 
agree with you. I feel like um, we have a very similar mindset and model. I, I part of me is trying to wonder if this is, you know, you're me in the future with uh, just, you know, in an alternate universe. Because I got a little bit of red in my beard when I let it grow out. So I'm kind of scared that I'm going to start to lose my hair ah, in the next nine years. Fuck you. But, um, I'll, I'll try to... <laughs> It was I'll all going to, so well, right, Harry, cut the feed, cut the fucking feed. Actually, on little that little note, bit. I've got my um, my boxing class coming up, so I'd love to sh- uh, stay and chat to you all day. I love real estate, I love business, I love meeting other entrepreneurs. Um, but, yeah, where can, where can we follow you and, and what's your predictions for real estate moving forward? Yeah, anybody that's listening, just follow me on whatever social media you're on. I'm probably on there. You know, if you're, you know, don't just go follow me on a social media that you're not on. So whatever social media you're on, you know, like I uh, got a podcast called The Faster Freedom Show, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. If you want to connect with me, the easiest place is probably Instagram. And that's all at Sam Faster Freedom. So my name is Sam and my brain is Faster Freedom, the company I own. So um, at Sam Faster Freedom on any platform and then Instagram, if you want to DM me, I will gladly respond. And then predictions for real estate. Um, I think we're probably in for a little bit more of an uh, interesting time over the next 12 to 18 months. I, I don't know exactly when that, that bigger dip is going to come. I feel like part of it has already happened here in the States. I know Q4 and Q1 were rough for every single flipper and landlord I know here in the entire States. So I think we've seen a little bit of it. I'm sure there's probably more to come. But in general, real estate doubles in value every 15 years. I've done the numbers from 1950 to 2022. There's only three 15-year cycles where it did not double. So from like 1975 to 1990, it doubled. From 1976 to 1991, it doubled. There's only three of those 15-year increments where it did not double, and it went up like 86, 93, and 94% or something like that. So even if you think it's going to go down a little bit this year, buy it, um, You know, do it right, do it the right way. Um, maybe it will, maybe it won't if you manage it properly, but just buy real estate now um, because it's going to go up in value in the long run. So I think that I, I don't want to you know, have a crystal ball to predict. I think there's probably some rough times ahead potentially, but if you do things the right way, and you can understand it and make it cash flow at nine percent, and you can make it work. Then you know, as as rates go down and as things fluctuate, you just have options to sell it or wholesale it or fix and flip it or refinance. You just have options. So um, you know, buy real estate, and um, you know, you can figure it out along the way. Would be my little piece of advice, as well as um, you know, half-ass side side swiped your prediction uh, question. No, it's been great to hang out and chat real estate and business and geek out on subjects we're passionate about. Um, I'm sure there'll be more of this in the future. Until the next time. See ya. 